Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, for the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. How many know forgiveness was bought by the precious blood of Jesus? Mm. I'm going to talk about why I forgive today. Is that good? Why I forgive? I'm going to talk about that. I've been doing a why series. We had the why book went out. thought people might be asking why, so we thought we'd ask a few why questions ourselves. And uh, when I got into whys, I got into why I sing, why I laugh, why I follow, why I forgive, why am I miserable, why am I stuck, why, what's going on, why am I standing in line? So we've been doing a bunch of whys. Next week, I'm going to wrap up the why series with why I gather. Wow, I can't believe the excitement about that one. I'm going to add to it, though, but I'm going to add why I gather at 1030. So. I don't know what it is about that. I just feel, feel God all over 1030. But anyways, just amen. All right. And for those of you who are still at home watching at home, if you're in town, stop it. Because this is for people who can't make it. And uh, unless it's Frankie you're watching, I know you weren't feeling well, but bless you, Frankie. It's good to see you. I know you miss Papa, I know. Just say, Papa. Okay, sorry. Okay, why forgive? You ready? Isn't that a nice little picture? Why forgive? You see the chains, the chains, all the freedom. You know, forgiveness does, it sets you free. It sets you free. Being bitter and unforgiving, it really is. There's, there's spiritual, there's physical, emotional, there's tangible things that take place when you choose to not forgive. But I want you to know why I forgive. Now, Matthew chapter 6, 14 and 15. Matthew chapter 6, 14 and 15. Now, first of all, I just want to do this. Harry, come on over here. Harry, Harry Milne. Harry, come on over here. Brian, come on over here. Brian, you're going to Haiti like this week? Tomorrow. Why are you going to Haiti? It's just vacation. Or? Taking, a team Taking a team of eight people to Haiti? Well, come on up here. Stand up here with Harry. Just want to pray for you. Bless you. Amen. Just turn around and face the camera right over here. Hi, it's good to see you. This is Harry and this is Brian, and they're headed to uh, Haiti. And uh, so we want to pray with them right now. So stretch out your hands. Pray for these guys, all right? We're going to Haiti. I'm going to Haiti first weekend of December to pray for our first graduating class of our Bible school and also to drop a cornerstone on the property that we bought for them, the cornerstone for the building. Isn't that exciting? So uh, we're looking forward to that. But these guys are going to do a mission work right now too. So we want to bless you guys, all right? So lift your hands up again. I know you got tired right there and you put them back down because Jesus. Well, Father, we bless Brian. We bless Harry. We thank you for them. We bless the team that you're leading. I say in the name of Jesus that they are blessed. They are protected. They are surrounded by you. They don't have to fear a thing because, Lord, you are sending them on a mission to help people, to love on people, to bless a nation in desperate need. So, Father, we believe that that nation can be transformed. There's people there who believe, even in the hopelessness that they see, they believe that something can shift in that nation and it can be a crown of of your recovery and of the restoration of God in a whole nation. So Father, we command your blessing on them as they go, not on their own personal adventure, but on a mission for God. Just command them to go forward. We thank you for the anointing that breaks and shatters every yoke and just brings revelation to people. So thank you for them. Bless them. Surround them with grace. Cover this whole trip with the ease of your goodness and your glory. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Bless you guys. All right. Why I forgive. You ready? Why I forgive. Here it is. Why I forgive. Number one, Matthew 6, 14 and 15. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also give you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you. Wow. That was right there in the Lord's Prayer is right above it, and it was the scariest, scariest word in the Bible for me. It's only got two letters, and it's as. And we used to pray it all the time, say, Father, forgive us our sins or our debts as we forgive others. I'm like, so the quality of my forgiveness is going to be directly related to my quality of forgiving others? I quit. I am done with that. Because, and then right after it, later on, he says, be perfect as I am perfect. I'm like, holy Mackinac. I mean, I, this is a losing cause. I'm going golfing. Because this is this, like you put, the, you put the bar so high that that's just ridiculous. So I'm done. 
And you see, that's, that's what happens to a lot of people. So what's going on here? Let me read you another verse out of Colossians 3, verse 12 and 13. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and longsuffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also forgive. You must do it. Now, I like that one. That as, handle, I can handle that as a little bit better. See, because if I got to forgive others, you know, or God's going to forgive me as I forgive others, ouch. But you see, it says I'm to forgive others as he forgave me. I can handle that one a lot more. But you can only handle that one if you really realize, and if you read the therefore, what's above the therefore, it's because you've been in Christ. It's because of the finished work of the cross. It's because he did it all on your behalf. Because he's brought you in to his holy family. He set you free from all the power of sin. He's forgiven you in every aspect. And it's a gift of forgiveness. I mean, George just saying, he said, it's the gift. It's purchased not by my ability to forgive others, but it was purchased by the blood of Jesus. See, if it's purchased by my ability to forgive, oh my goodness, am I desperately in need of a new plan. If I'm going to be forgiven based on my ability to forgive, somebody give me a new religion. Because I'm no good at forgiving. I'm really good at holding grudges and getting angry when people devalue me and take my worth and press it down and say things about me that aren't true. I get all uppity. If God says that the degree that you can tolerate them and put up with them, that's the degree I'll tolerate and put up with you. Get me a new religion. Settle down. Boy, you're so excited. So what's that all about? I mean, look at this. Let me give you this picture. Jesus, the woman at the well. I love this. We got books in our, our bookstore with all of these fantastic things in it done by Paul Ellis. You should get a bunch of them for your coffee table and for Christmas. Look at this. It says, things Jesus didn't say. All right, stuff Jesus never said. Stuff Jesus never said. I can't forgive you. You haven't forgiven that mongrel who ran off with your sister. This is stuff Jesus never said. But pastor, he did teach that stuff at the Sermon on the Mount. He did teach that stuff. I mean, we have to acknowledge that, don't we? So there you go. So you got two verses that I just read that seem to contradict themselves. But did you, did you spot the difference in the verses? Did you? Did you spot the difference? The first statement says forgiveness starts with us. The next statement says forgiveness begins with God. So which is it? First one says, forgiveness begins with you. That God will have a relationship with you based on your ability to forgive others. That's what the first one said. The second one said, God has started the question. God has started the advance. God has moved towards you. God has forgiven you your sin. God has removed every obstacle between you and the Father. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to heaven. No, it doesn't say that. It says, no man comes to the Father. Your relationship with the Father is exclusively dealt with through Jesus Christ. Jesus alone, by faith alone, so no one can boast. It's, it's the grace of God, and it's faith in the grace of God, the unmerited favor of God that does it. See, if we teach that God will forgive you as you forgive others, we have a doctrine and a religion of works. Therefore, salvation isn't free. I had to forgive somebody who deeply hurt me or offended me. You know, sometimes, has anybody ever been hurt? Just all eyes closed, heads bowed. Has anybody ever been hurt in their life? Hang around a little while. Maybe next week I'll get you. People come to this church and say, I was hurt by the pastor of my last church. I said, join us. I'll hurt you in all new ways. Wow, if I want to run to a hurt-free environment, good luck with that. What is it? Forgiveness begins with God. Which is it? Well, we got to reconcile this because I've heard it so often, even around here, I've heard people say, well, you better forgive that person or God won't forgive you. Wow, you're reinforcing something when you say that. You're putting something in the minds and hearts of people. You're literally putting an obstacle. You're putting a wedge between them and God when you say that. See, because I can't forgive except I have a deep, deep revelation that I'm forgiven. And the only time I can truly, completely forgive and let go is when my identity, I am a child of God. I don't have to fear being diminished by anybody or the words that were spoken or the pain or the hurt or the rejection or anything that happened in my life. I don't have to fear the impact of any of that in my life because I'm not shaped by that. I don't find my identity in that. I don't find my value in that. I find my value in what God says about me and the fact that he loves me unconditionally. 
It's not the unconditional love of God if he loves me based on my ability to love other people. It's not the unconditional love of God if he loves me according to my ability to forgive other people. What are you saying, pastor? Don't forgive people? No, that's not what I'm saying. You've got to forgive people, but the title is why. Why I forgive. Why I forgive. So the Sermon on the Mount, and Paul Ellis said this, the Sermon on the Mount is the most eloquent exposition of the old covenant law ever preached. Jesus preached it before the cross to people living under the law. The law. Are you under the law? Let me ask that again because some of you are confused. Are you under the law? Are you under the law? No. Jesus fulfilled the law. The law was perfect. There's nothing wrong with the law. That's the problem with the law is that it's perfect. And I was broken, dropped on my head and messed up. And I could never fulfill the law. It constantly stood opposed to me and screamed at me my inadequacies. But Jesus came and fulfilled the whole law. And Jesus went to the Father and said, I got it all covered. Therefore, every one of us has been qualified by his gracious act to have absolute total fellowship with the Father. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. So here he is, Matthew 5, 48. Like I said, here's how Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now get along and give that a try. I don't know, but when I hear that message, I'm like, done. Peter said it too. Peter said, be holy as he is holy. I went, hello. But then I realized when Peter said that, Peter said, because of what God has done, because God, who is holy, he took your unrighteousness. He took your sin on himself so that he now has the legal right to declare you righteous in his sight. Therefore, be holy as he is holy. Why? Because he has declared you holy. He has made you holy. He has caused you to be holy in his sight, an act of his own free will, because he's absolutely nuts about you. So be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Amen? I am, it says, it says in Colossians, through our union with Christ, we have been made complete. That word complete is the word teleos. That word means I've been made perfect. I've not been given an opportunity to strive towards perfection. I have been made perfect in Christ Jesus. Isn't that good news? That's why I said I need a new religion. That, that's why Jesus came and preached the law. I put the law on steroids because there were some people walking around thinking they did it. Remember, there's people coming to him. He says, what does the law say? Did you do this? He says, yes, I did it all. So Jesus, with a whole bunch of self-righteous people, he took the law and he jacked it up and he put it on steroids. And he said, oh, you thought murder was a problem? I'm going to take it to another level. I'm going to take murder to hatred. Adultery, I'm going to take adultery from the act to the look. He jacked it all up. He put it on a whole other level because there's a whole bunch of self-righteous people he was preaching to. They were saying, I think I'm pretty good. I think I've made it. So he jacked it up, hoping that they would cry out in despair, have mercy on me, son of David. How are you doing? Are you okay? Because we're talking about why I forgive. All right, so John 13, 34. Here's Jesus in the upper room, the last supper, a long dinner, but the dinner before he got crucified. Here he is. I've been preaching the law. I've been preaching the law, telling some stories, opening windows of grace, but now there's a new covenant. Say new covenant. See, up until now, we've been living under that old covenant, but now there's a new covenant. He said, listen, fellas, the way it was is not the way it's going to be. I'm going to establish a new covenant now. I'm going to establish a whole new agreement between you and God, and I'm going to set you free from the old covenant, and I'm going to bring you into a new covenant. He said, a new covenant I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. He says, I'm giving you a new, new covenant, and I'm going to give you a new sacrifice. It's no longer the blood of goats and bulls and all that mess. He said, I'm going to be the sacrifice once and for all. I'm going to manifest my love for you. And now in this new covenant, I will demonstrate the love of God. Now as you get a revelation that you are loved, love one another sacrificially as I have loved you. Love a sacrificial ascribing of intimate infinite worth to another person. The person beside you is of infinite worth. The person beside you is created in the image of God. The person beside you is literally a manifestation of God himself. And that person is worthy of your love, your passion, your respect, and your honor. And why can you do it? Because you have a living, working revelation that God loves me. I can do all things through Christ 
who strengthens me. New covenant. I got to thank God. See, I was crying out for a new religion and there is one. I was crying out for a new covenant and there is one. The law that constantly accused me and beat me up has been taken away. It was nailed to the cross and now I can live in a relationship with God, not because of my works, but because of what he did for me. It's done, done, done. I don't have to do, do, do anymore because it's done, done, done. And anything I do, 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 I do in the faith of the son of God who strengthens me. Wow. Who showed up this Sunday? So exciting. Um, all right, 1 Corinthians 13, 5. It's love. Love takes no account. Fabulous chapter. Love takes no account of an evil done to it. Oh, how many have had an evil done to you? How do you overcome evil? Overcome evil with good. It takes no account of an evil done to it. Like I don't get on Twitter right after the service and get mad at you, you know? I know somebody who does, but I don't do that. Love takes no account of an evil done to it. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. Even if you're right about the wrong, you're wrong if you respond to it. Evil with evil is just nonsense. You know, if, if a wrong is done to you, who cares? If you've got to respond to it, it shows that you've got an identity crisis. And you see, you get your self-worth from people or events or what other people say. That's not where I get my worth from. I get my worth from God himself. And God is absolutely nuts and crazy about me. He loves me with an everlasting love. Therefore, it doesn't matter what anybody says or does. I am always fixed on perfect. You cannot improve on who I am. I am awesome. If you don't get it, that's okay. Hang around a little while. So good. So good. You just feel sorry for people who just don't get it, don't you? Huh? You don't get that I'm awesome. I don't understand that. But... <laughs> See, when you love somebody, you ascribe to them infinite worth. Sacrificially. Oh, I don't think they're worth nothing. I don't like that person. That's not love. Love without even expectation, without even getting anything or deserving anything or even caring if that person has anything to bring to you, you ascribe infinite worth to them just because they are. And that's love. That's absolute love. That's the love that we're called in. It says love seeks no account. If you really love people, you don't get offended. Well, you offended me last week with your preaching, pastor. You told us we should be happy and be full of joy, and that really annoyed me. Other people laughed when you said, it's joy unspeakable, full of glory. They went, ha, 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 and I went, stop it over there. I was so offended. Love doesn't get offended. Love just goes, wow, that's kind of crazy. He praised Jesus, that's it. <laughs> Proverbs 79, he who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats the matter separates friends. Love, love doesn't keep records of wrongs. Love forgives. First Peter 4, 8 out of the Amplified Bible says, above all things, listen, over all things, above it all, have intense, <laughs> say intense. Oh my God, intense. Wow, have intense, unfailing love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sin, forgives and disregards the offenses of others. Hello, why do I forgive because I am so totally forgiven. Because I am so totally loved. I don't forgive to get something from God. Well, I don't like what you did to me, but I still want to be God's friend. So I guess I'll forgive you because I don't want to tick him off. So I forgive you. <laughs> You're not really forgiving the person. Huh? Well, God paid your debt, so I'll forgive you. That's not forgiving them. That's, you know, that's saying, you owe me 10 bucks, God gave it to me, so I'm going to let you off the hook. That's not forgiving the person 10 bucks. See, if Cheryl owes me $10, but then Tania comes and she says, here's the 10 bucks Cheryl owes you. Oh, thank you so much. I forgive you. <laughs> See, I'm not forgiving Cheryl. She paid me off. There's a lot of people that think that, you know, God doesn't really forgive us. Jesus paid him off. No, God totally forgives you. And if, if, you know, somebody had to pay for your forgiveness, it wasn't a free gift. Anyways, that's a whole long story about atonement. We can't get into that right now. Some of you got a brain tilt already. I am forgiven. Are you forgiven? I am forgiven in every way. And I don't forgive other people because they repented or they acted kind or they did some deed of self-righteousness. I just forgive them right off the start because I didn't even keep a record of it and I don't have to forget it because I never took offense in the first place. So just let it go. But I was seriously offended. 
I know. I know. I know. And there's people who've been really, really offended, really hurt, abused, gone through horrible things. But if you've really embraced the forgiveness of God, you can forgive no matter how deep the pain has been in your life. All right, Acts chapter 5, verse 31. Him God has exalted to the right hand to be prince and savior, to give. Say give. Yes. What does give mean? Well, you got to repent, brother. Well, God gave me repentance. See, repentance isn't what I do for God to pay me off. I repent. Here's what happens. God forgave me, so I repent. God gave me the gift of forgiveness, and so I'm going, holy cow, I'm forgiven. I changed my mind. I changed my mind because it's got a revelation of how incredible God's love is for me. I changed my mind about all of it because I've experienced the revelation of the goodness of God, so I'm going to align myself with God is good. Repentance isn't like the, the bill that I have to pay to get God's forgiveness. It's the gift of repentance. It's the gift of forgiveness. Say gift. And God exalted him to give repentance to Israel and to give forgiveness of sins. So these are gifts. They're not, not verbs. They are gifts that God has given us as nouns. They are gifts, the gift of repentance and the gift of forgiveness. Luke 24, 46, 47. Then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, that repentance and remissions of sins should be preached in his name to all nations. What repentance? That, you know, the goodness of God is, is told. So so I got a new idea for you. Remember the old law that said that God forgives you as you forgive others? I got a new message. God forgives you. He totally loves you. He unconditionally has separated you from sin and from every problem, and he's aligned you with God the Father. All you got to do is believe that. He set you free from working, and he brought you in a relationship. Well, do we work anymore? Absolutely. But if you are working, and it's not motivated by the revelation of Christ in you, then it is a work of the flesh. It has to be motivated out of Christ has done it all. And out of that revelation, I now give myself away freely without expectation. Not exp I'm not doing it to please God. I'm not doing it to, you know, try to fill up my God bucket. Look, God, I've been good this week. Slap me with a blessing. You know what? God slaps me with blessings unconditionally every morning. I wake up, he kisses my face with a big wet one and says, I love you. And I go, I love you too. And I can't wait to go love other people because I'm overwhelmed with your love. It's not a work of my flesh. It's a work of my loving relationship. Thank you for that cheer of, woo, woo. Remission. What is remission? You need to understand remission. Remission. Remission is the release from bondage or imprisonment. Remission is forgiveness or pardon of sins, letting them go as if they'd never been committed. Remission is remission from the penalty. Forgiveness is not something God does. It's something God has done. Forgiveness isn't something that God does. It's something that God has done. Preach to them the forgiveness of sins. What, that my sins can be forgiven? No, that your sins are forgiven. The sin that you, you know, got exposed the other day, when did God die for it? The other day? No, he died for it 2,000 years ago. The sin you're going to commit tomorrow, when did God die for it? Will he die for it tomorrow? No, he can't be crucified all over again. He died for 2,000 years ago. When he died for your sin, he died for your sin past, present, and future. It's done. It's finished. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. Forgiveness isn't something God does. It's something that God has done. Are you forgiven? Well, until I screw up again. Are you forgiven? Well, till I blow it again. Are you righteous? Well, till I screw up again. Are you the holiness of God? Until I screw up again. There's all kinds of people who live in that cycle of, oops, I blew it. I got to become a child of God again. No, you are a child of God. You're a child of God who blew it, but stay in the conversation. You don't have to make Jesus die all over again. You can't do that. He died once for sin, once for all. But stay in the conversation. Are you less perfect now because you blew it? No, you're still perfect because your perfectness doesn't depend on your works or your efforts. It depends on what he did. He declared you holy and perfect. Done. Done, 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 done. But I screwed up. What if you died before you repented of that screw up? Do you go to hell? So I'm on this little treadmill. Of, oh, I blew it. Wow, thank God I didn't die between my period of repenting because I would have gone to hell with that sin on me. No, your sin, past, present, and future was dealt with at the cross. 
should you repent? Should you change? Yes. But the change comes with your face in his glory, not in your mixture. Your faith comes by looking at his perfect work in your life, not by, that's why he says, reckon yourself dead, buried, and risen with Christ. How do I get free of sin? Reckon yourself dead, buried, and risen with Christ. You don't get rid of your sin by trying to stop do it. You get rid of your sin by saying, I am free from sin. Jesus did it 2,000 years ago. Oh, the sun set free is free indeed. We got a whole pile of believers thinking that salvation is free, but then you got to live for God. Every day you got to do your best. That's like me saying, I'm a doctor who can raise you to life. Cancer killed you, but I can raise you to life. So I'm going to raise you to life, but now... Once I raise you back up again, you got to deal with your cancer on your own. Well, if you're going to raise me to life, why wouldn't you deal with the cancer too? I mean, what kind of doctor would give me life back but then leave me in cancer? See, God doesn't just give you new life. He deals with the problem at its root and he totally delivers you so you can walk forward in total freedom. Is anybody picking up what I'm putting down? Okay, let's, let's move on because I got stuff to do here. My God, Cheryl's tapping the clock again. Let's pray for Cheryl right now. That clock, <laughs> that clock tapping thing is just, oh my God. Psalm 103, I love Psalm 103. David, he's, he's talking in, a, in an old covenant period. He's sharing stuff out of revelation of the goodness of God. He says, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. And forget not one of all of his benefits. He forgives all my sins. He heals all my diseases. He delivers me from the He crowns me with love and compassion. Whoa! David is sharing a deep revelation of a new covenant. In an old covenant context, he's prophesying of a new day. And here's what he says. He says, he hath not dealt with us after our sins. Here, listen. God isn't like, okay, come before me. Let me examine how you've screwed up today. Hmm. You are this close, you know, but... See, we think God deals with us according to our failures. What David says, he doesn't deal with us according to our failures. He doesn't deal with us according to our inability to perform. He does not do that, nor does he reward us according to our iniquities. In the areas where there's inequity, where there's things in my life that are out of line, he doesn't deal with me in that area. God dealt with what's out of line. He dealt with what doesn't work. For as far as the heavens or the highest the heavens are above the earth, so great is his mercy. Does anybody need mercy? For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, how far is the east from the west? How far is it? It just keeps going. It never stops. As far as the, it just, let me, let me see if I can see that sin again. Remember that sin I did, Lord? Can I catch up with that one? I mean, it's gone. As far as the east is from the west, I mean, you're sitting, he's totally obliterated. He's remitted it. He's blotted it out. He's removed it. It doesn't exist anymore. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. And he is a good God. Isn't he a good God? So far has he removed our transgressions from us. Well, three quick observations right there. He removes our transgression, removes our sins, and he releases us from our inequities. Inequities, inward motivation, our heart, our attitude, whatever's out of line. You know, I had somebody got baptized a few weeks ago. Got to give her testimony. Baptized a few weeks ago. Had an alcohol problem you know, on the wagon, off the wagon, had some struggles, baptized just a few weeks ago right here. Since she was baptized, no desire, nothing. It's totally gone. The inequity, whatever was out of balance inside of her, the inequity was dealt with and there's nothing tilting this way or that way anymore. It's a full-on tilt towards God and his love. And I'm free from striving and I'm free from trying because I've embraced the unmerited favor of God and his unconditional love. So my heart attitude, everything, whatever's out of line, he's dealt with the inequity, whatever's not in balance. He dealt with my outer transgressions, whatever my hands, whatever actions I did, whatever I performed, however I did screw up, he dealt with my transgressions. And as far as the east is from the west, completely and forever, he's removed it from me, past, present, and future. Why do I forgive? William, William, William Arthur Ward. Thoughts of a Christian Optimist, his book, he wrote, we are most like beasts when we kill, we're most like men when we judge, but we're most like God when we forgive. You should be more like your father. That was kind of judgment, wasn't it? 
Why aren't you more like your father? We're most like God. We're most like God, our Father, when we forgive. Philip Yancey, his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, is this about unforgiveness. He said, unforgiveness plays like the background static of life in families, in nations, in institutions. It's like you come together as a family, and the elevator music of your whole experience is bitterness and unforgiveness. Nations, I mean nations, their bitterness in the world against nations, the bitterness with political parties, the bitterness that seems to run as the background music in all of life. It's the bitterness of institutions. It's the bitterness. It's unforgiveness that is constantly, that's why people pick sides. I'm for this. I'm for that. I'm for this. You're not like me. I'm not like you. I... It's just we pick sides. We, we, we decide we can't stand somewhere. We can't stand people. We allow hatred to frame our relationships. Unforgiveness is sadly our natural human state. We nurse sores, go into elaborate lengths to rationalize our behavior, perpetuate family feuds, punish ourselves, punish others, all to avoid the most unnatural act of forgiving. It's unnatural to the flesh. It's unnatural to human nature. But when you've been loved by God and forgiven by God, it's just like breathing to say, I forgive you. Amen. I was Philip Yancey. Go to thank you for that amen too from the back row. Praise Jesus. Now, uh, Marganita Lasky, Marganita Lasky in the, you know, back in the last century, she was a well-known secular humanist, novelist, avowed atheist, uh, died in 1988. But in a television interview before she died, here's what she said, very interesting. She said, what I envy most about Christians is your forgiveness. What I envy most about Christians is your forgiveness. She said, I have nobody to forgive me. You know, when your whole life is about defining how I'm different from you or how you're different from me, that's a serious problem. You know, we have to identify that, you know what, I'm not just one with God, I'm one with you. And I can't start to make you different from me. I can't, I can't spend my whole time defining why you and I are disalike. Because in union, we become one with him. And when I become a believer, I'm not, I'm not individually connected with God. I'm connected with God in a perfect harmony and a perfect union with you as well. I can't hate you. If I do that, I hate myself. I can't disavow you. I disavow myself. And you're that important to me that I will always forgive no matter what because you're way too important to me. You're way too important to this community. I'm way too clearly identified with who my father is to mess with you who he created in his image. I will not touch what God has anointed. Okay, settle down, please. Please, I'm going to finish, please. Okay. All right, thank you. All right. Karen Schwartz, MD, John Hopkins. It's the whole medical John Hopkins journal. Uh, just pulled out of that article. She said, there is an enormous physical burden to being hurt or disappointed. There's an enormous physical burden to being hurt and disappointed. There's an increase in the risk of depression, heart disease, and diabetes. I read one journal and it said, I, I, I didn't quote it because I don't know what all their... You know, there's quotes, there's percentages. They say they've done a study, but they did a study on a group of cancer uh, people, cancer victims, and they said 61 of the percent of the people had an open manifestation of bitterness or unforgiveness in their lives. 61%. Wow. But they say forgiveness. Listen, forgiveness, however, calms stress levels, and forgiveness leads to improved health. Now, they do say, I mean, almost every medical journal will tell you that 85% of sickness is in your head. And you see, it's your head, it's your brain, it's those fragments in your, in your subconscious realm. It's those trees that are full of thorns that need to be shaken and realigned. Those are affecting the chemical balances in your life. They're opening healing and closing doors and opening doors. I know people who have been told straight out that the reason you're suffering from this is because you haven't properly dealt with stress. And because stress causes your brain to react in a way that it opens things and it closes things. And I'll tell you, unforgiveness causes a lot of stress. How are you? I'm talking to some of you today. Talking to me. You know, the word has no handle on it. You can't like, I'm going to use the handle and slice and dice you. You can't do that. The word has no handle. If you pick it up, it'll cut you first. So when you start to study, you know, unforgiveness, believe me, the light of God's word starts to shine in your own heart first. I do forgive you, Cheryl, for tapping that clock. <laughs> you know how much it annoys me and you do it anyways. But I refuse to take offense because God loves me so much, therefore... I will love you. <laughs> out of his abundance of love, a little squirt will bounce out, and I will say, there's a little bit for Cheryl. 
Okay, uh, that might be making fun, but there's a lot of truth in that. <laughs> I can't forgive. I can't forgive people who devalue my worth. If you mistreat me, then you owe me. If you mistreat me, you owe me. You've tried to make me less than who I am. You've diminished who I am. You've devalued me. You owe me. You stole from me, and you owe me, and I'm holding out. Somebody has to repay. Well, don't even get there. You see, I'm so loved by God. There's an absolute free flow of his love and his grace flowing into my life so much so that no matter what slice anybody wants to take off me, it doesn't matter because there's more coming to me than you could ever take from me. He is overcompensated for anything that could ever happen to me. And when that happens, all I do is go, ha, 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 ha. you poor thing. <laughs> Unforgiveness allows the other who offends you to define you. That person is living in your world, defining you every day. You're waking up and allowing that offense to define and shape who you are. Unforgiveness, so some say Gandhi said it, some say other people said it. I don't know who said it, but unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for your offender to die. I can't stand you. It's just not worth it. It's really, really not worth it. So there's a lot of really good reasons to forgive people. But the reason I forgive is because he forgave me. And because he forgave me, I'm so totally free, I can forgive. Philippians 4.19, and my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus, right? My God shall supply how many of your needs? How many? God will supply all my needs. So what do you need in my life then? Nothing. There's nothing that you meet in my life. You can, I can receive from you and that's great, but receiving or not receiving from you doesn't define me. Because if I'm defined by what you give to me, if you stop giving it to me, I hate you. You've stopped filling up my cup. But you know what? My cup is filled by God alone. All my needs are met in him. Therefore, whatever comes my way from you, thank you. And that's awesome. But you know what? All my needs are met in him. And because they're all met in him, I can give and I can receive and give and I can receive without expectation, without creepy, nasty stuff involved in relationship. Well, I gave you something nice and you never gave back to me. I've been kind to you for like a year and you just look funny at me all the time. Get over yourself. You walked by me four times, Pastor, and never said hi. I'm sorry. I don't know if you're sorry or not. Wow. I'll try to pay attention. You ever had somebody walk by you and not say hi? Did you ever think they might be thinking of something else? I was going, I got to go to the bathroom. Hi, got to go to the bathroom. Hey, hey, going to the bathroom. What? Hi, going potty. Hey, hi. It could be there was something else on their mind. Anyways, I know that was for somebody. How many just got a revelation there? All heads bowed, eyes closed. All right. The power to forgive is rooted in your identity in Christ. My worth cannot be diminished because... I get my value from him. Can I get an amen? All right, let me quickly read this. You ready? Let's go to Matthew 18, 21. I'm going to start reading. You ready? Then Peter came and said, Lord, Lord, how often shall I forgive my brother who sins against me? How often shall I do that and forgive him? Seven times? <laughs> like, that forgiveness thing, can we put a meter on that? You know, like, I've forgiven some people a lot, and I'd like to put an end to it, you know? So Peter wants to know, right? Peter wants to know, when can I chuck them to the curb? And Jesus said, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Okay, I got to get a calculator then. Let me see. Some of you are really close, you know, I'm telling you. Some of you are getting right close to the edge. 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of what? The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. What are we talking about? The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with the servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him him 10,000 talents. Say 10,000 talents. That is a lifetime of lifetime of lifetime of lifetimes earnings. Lifetimes of earnings, lifetimes of lifetimes of earnings. 10,000 talents. This guy is seriously in debt. There's a guy who was ridiculously in debt, a debt that could never, ever be paid or recovered. He was unable to pay his master. So uh, he comes, and when he uh, come to settle accounts, he brought to him one of 10,000 talents. He was unable to pay. His master commanded that he be sold, his wife and his children, all he had, and payments be made. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. The servant then fell down before him, saying, Master, 
He said, have patience with me and I will repay you all. And the master said, you know what? I'm moved with compassion. Therefore, I'm going to release you and I'm going to forgive you 10,000 talents, lifetimes of lifetimes of lifetimes of wealth and achievement. I'm going to totally free you from that debt. Woohoo! Yes! Yeah! How many think that would be overwhelming? Well, here's what he thought of that. So he went out and found all of his friends and servants and anybody who owed him money and said, man, I just hit the jackpot. Are you kidding? I've been forgiven so much and totally set free. So come on, guys. I forgive you all. In fact, let's throw a party of forgiveness. Woohoo! How many are following along? Does not say that. It says, then the servant fell down before his master, said, have patience with me as the pastor forgives him. And then the servant went out and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. 10,000 talents, 100 denarii. One guy, lifetime, lifetime. I mean, massive, massive amounts you could never, ever. That's how much he was in debt. Then he finds a guy who's 100 days wages in debt to him. 100 days wages. He finds this guy. You, look at you. You owe me 100 days wages, you dog. But I've been forgiven so much, I'm just going to forget it. Woo! No. He said he found this guy. He found this guy, and he took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe me. I mean, the afterglow of the grace I just experienced is still on me. <clears throat> Grabs him by the throat. Grabs him by the throat. Where am I? Grabs him by the throat. Pay me what you owe me. And his fervent fell on his feet, begged him, saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not have patience, but threw him in prison until he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved. And they came and told their master what had been done. And the master, after calling him, said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Also, you should now forgive and you should have had compassion on your fellow servants, just as I had put on you. And the master was angry and he delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. Now listen, so my heavenly father also will do to each of you from his heart, who from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Let's open the altar right now. You can preach this with real heavy judgment and heavy legalism and you can fill an altar in a hurry. Because every one of us know how much we've been forgiven and know how much even sometimes we self-loathe ourselves. And yet here's a guy who was totally impacted by the grace of his master. And yet he took somebody who barely owed him anything and grabbed him by the throat and threw him on a wall and says, give me everything you owe me. What's the lesson here, pastor? What's the lesson? Because you got to find the lesson in the parable. Because parables, you can't take everything in the parable and try to align it with this is God, and this represents this. It's real simple. You know what it is? You have been ridiculously totally forgiven. And if you've embraced the revelation of your total forgiveness, if you've got a revelation of how much you're loved, you will love others. If you don't get a real big revelation today of how much Jesus loves you and how much he's forgiven you, then you're likely to walk out and absolutely ignore the grace of God. There's only two responses. Thank you for the great grace, great grace, or walk out of here unchanged. If you walk out of here unimpacted, unchanged by the goodness of God, and you still think you got the right to judge other people's lives, you have not experienced the goodness and the grace of God. That's the scary thing. The scary thing isn't that God won't forgive you. Here's the thing. He already forgave you, and you won't embrace it. That's the thing. It's the thing is to, to, to have a God who so thoroughly loves you and embraces you, and he's manifested to you. God has forgiven. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the whole world. If you don't understand that, you're likely to continue to be a messed up parasite who continuously robs from the steals from other people and you won't let go. But if you've really been impacted by the incredible love of God, forgiveness is a lifestyle. Forgiveness is what I do. Why do I forgive? Because I am so ridiculously loved. I am so ridiculously blessed. But it's not about working for my salvation. It's not about forgive or you won't get to heaven, brother. You get to heaven because he forgave you. You love others because he forgave you. Don't turn forgiveness into a work by which you achieve your salvation because that's not true. That's the law and we've been set free from the law. But when you get a great big dose of a revelation of how much God has been good to you, you will forgive in ridiculous, gross, fascinating ways because you know 
how much he loves you. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. All right, let me see what I got here. Let's see. Give me my next slide. Boom. Truth and Reconciliation Commission. That's Desmond Tutu there, and that's the fellow who was assigned by the South African government. When Nelson Mandela was released from prison, he became a president in the election. He said, South Africa doesn't need justice, it needs healing. And so he developed a Truth and Reconciliation Commission, and you can read about it, you can actually read the whole thing. But what they did was, I think it was for almost three years, they said to everybody who had grievously harmed in gross ways and offended people and did atrocious acts, inhuman acts to other people, that you could come and you could openly confess what you did before living relatives or other people. And if you did that, you would not be prosecuted for what you did. Unbelievable, the people who came forward and shared what they did. And in this, this whole reconciliation situation, there was a fella, and his name was... His name was Vandebroek, Vandebroek, and he was a policeman. It's a policeman who had one of his friends was killed in one of the ghettos, and he was so mad, he just went out into the ghettos, and he found a, a family, and he took their 19-year-old son, and they took him, and they killed him, and then they drank beer, and this is kind of gross, it's kind of inhuman, but they had a party, drank beer, lit a fire, put him on a stake, and they roasted him and burned him until his body was gone, so there was no evidence. And then he was still so full of anger and so still full of frustration. Six months later, he went to the same home and got the mother and the father. And with the mother there present, he took the father and he tied him up over a, a whole bunch of wood and poured gasoline all over him and lit him up and burned him to death until the ashes were gone. But when this reconciliation took place, he was moved in his heart and he said he wanted to come forward. He wanted to confess it. And the woman was brought forward and she sat in front of him as he confessed what he had done. And he confessed all the horrible acts and went into the details. And she sat there and she looked at them. And then when they turned to her, they said, how would you like to respond to that? She said, I'd like three things. There's three things I would like. First of all, twice a month, I want you to come to my home in the ghetto and I want you to spend a day with me, and I want to be able to feed you and care for you, because there's still love in my heart for my son and for my husband that I'm unable to express to them, and I'd like the two days a month, you come and spend that day with me, and I will cook for you, and I will serve you, and I will love you, because I'm not able to do that to them. He said, another thing I want, the second thing I want is I want you to know that as my husband was burned, he said, forgive you. God forgive you because you don't know what you're doing. And I want you to know that you are forgiven by God himself. And she said, thirdly, though, the third thing I want is I want to come up from where I am right now and I want to walk over to you. And I don't want you to just hear that God forgives you, but I want to forgive you. I want to wrap my arms around you and I want to embrace you so that you can feel forgiveness. Well, as soon as she said that, he actually passed out and fell, bang, on the floor. And the whole proceedings began to sing Amazing Grace. Wow, what a pretty crazy story, eh? So when you're a preacher, you try to find creepy stories like that and throw them at you so you guys can all feel bad about how miserable your life is. <laughs> I've never experienced anything like that. I don't know what that is. But it's pretty amazing that a nation that people said would never turn a corner, a nation that was so screwed up, would in a few years come to a place where they became a, a shining example of what it was to forgive, a shining example of what it was to not look for justice, but look for reconciliation and look for healing. And I'm so disappointed today that we got so many people so busy picking sides that they can't find something that they can agree about with somebody else. We're so busy defining our differences that we won't embrace each other, love each other. You know, when those things keep going on, it just pushes a wedge of hatred further and further and further until who would have ever thought another human being would treat another human being like that? But that woman, in her old age, had that kind of forgiveness in her heart to somebody who stole her whole world from her. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Come on, stand up with me. Jesus. Can you just uh, bow your heads, close your eyes, and believers, just believers, you're praying. We're all praying. Father, we love you, we bless you, and I thank you that I am forgiven. 
I pray the revelation of how much I'm forgiven would be so clear to me. Father, deliver us from self-righteousness. The Pharisees and Sadducees, religious leaders of the day, they didn't think they needed you because they thought they were doing pretty good. I'm doing good enough. I don't need a Savior. But they really, really did. Lord, if anybody's here today saying, I'm doing good enough. I don't really need a Savior. Father, I pray that you would touch their hearts today. Lord, every one of us need a Savior. That's why you came. We didn't need an educator or an engineer or, or a doctor. We needed a Savior. We needed you to come and set our hearts right. We needed you to come and align us again with our Father. To take our iniquity, to take our sins, to remove the brokenness from us, and to bring us in a right relationship with the Father. And I thank you for that, and I receive that. Now listen, if you're here today and you've never received him, it says, whoever receives him, to him he gives them the right to become children of God. And as we sang that song, I am a child of God. If you can't sing that song or the revelation of it isn't clear to you, but you want to make it clear today what it means to be a child of God, I want to pray with you today. And I want to lead you into a revelation of Jesus Christ, your Lord and your Savior, who can forgive you and restore you right now to your Heavenly Father. You are forgiven you have to accept that. You just have to accept that. If you've never accepted that, I want you to do it today. So listen, I'm going to pray for you. Now your heart, pitter-patter, that's, that's the Almighty. He loves you. And He's drawing you to Himself. So I'm just going to, I'm going to count to three. And when I finish at three, if it's you, put your hand up really high because I just want to pray with you, okay? That's what you got to, just got to put your hand up. You ready? One, two, three. Just raise your hand up. Raise it high enough so I can see it, all right? Raise it high enough so I can see it. High enough so I can see it all the way up. Okay, come on. Would you pray with me? Everybody pray with me. Lord Jesus, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for restoring me to my Father. Thank you for your death, your burial, and your resurrection. I declare today that by faith in you I am born again I am forgiven I am healed and I am free Holy Spirit come into my life testify of Jesus and my relationship with the Father so I declare right now I am a child of God in Jesus name Amen now, if you did that for the first time, somebody might come and chat with you and talk to you, okay? Because we want you not just to make a decision, but we do want you to unpack everything that it is to be a child of God. So let me pray with you, bless you guys, and send you out to enjoy an amazing day. Amen? Did you have a good time today? You had a good time? All right. Well, Heavenly Father, we love you. We bless you. I love this family, Lord. I'm just amazed that what a beautiful community that I get to serve and we get to enjoy together. Father, I command in Jesus' name blessing on these folks, blessing on this house. And I just pray they'd prosper in everything they put their hand to. I pray that a revelation of your goodness, your grace in their life would so overwhelm them that they'd demonstrate your goodness everywhere they go. And people would say, take me to your leader. <laughs> so Father, I bless them now with the love of the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the sweet, intimate companionship and fellowship of Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name, amen.